The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. Is she dead? No. Hand me your canteen. Friends, are you all right? We found you lying here. I was gathering medicinal herbs. The sun. Is this what you're looking for? Why do you wear a mask? It's the law. The law. In Cedar. Thank you for what you've done, but you must go. Go before a patrol finds you. We come in peace. We mean no harm to you or your people. But you're strangers, and her face is uncovered. You must go before they find you. I think we better take her advice. What kind of people would make a woman wear a mask like that? Well, it was quite common in some primitive societies. Why? I'm not sure. It had to do with something called sin, whatever that is. Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, June 8th, 2017. I'm Bob Metz. And I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right wing. It's Just Right. Fade into color. Color into black and white Under the bedclothes Everything will be alright And welcome to our show today where we are actually bringing you the second hour of a session with guests Ted Harlson and Sandra Solomon who joined us on our May 25th broadcast and we're actually continuing the conversation from that point on, if you heard that a couple weeks ago by this time you should know that Sandra Solomon's already on her cross-Canada country tour, and you may have seen her in the news somewhere else that we would not be aware of at, at this point in our recording. So before we begin our second session, don't forget that you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org, subscribe to Just Right on iTunes, hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave, visit us at www.justrightmedia.org, where you can access all of Just Right's social media links, including Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and all of our past broadcasts. So, once again, we are joined in our studio with anti-Sharia, anti-Islam activist, Sandra Solomon. Welcome, Sandra. And Ted Harrelson. Ted has been um, active as well, in especially in Caledonia, here in Ontario, fighting the race-based policing of the OPP, the Ontario Provincial Police, and the policies surrounding their actions, and is a member of the Freedom Party of Ontario. Yes. And um, very proud of that as well. So we continue our discussion with Sandra and Ted about Sandra's particular opposition to the Islamization of Canada. But before I begin with that, I wanted to make sure that we mentioned one thing, is that Sandra is pushing for a Burn the Hijab Day. Sandra, you want to talk about that? Yes, I had a, a video about that. People can uh, watch it uh, through my uh, website and I encourage people to uh, stay in contact with my website, uh, voiceofsandrasolomon.com. 
especially when it comes to the hijab, this is the first thing that makes me rebel against Islam and questioning Islam. I was forced into wearing the hijab in Saudi Arabia and not just the hijab, the niqab as well, to cover our faces. And uh, my brother attempted to murder me uh, many times just because I refused to wear it. Again, many, many girls, they've been uh, murdered. Uh, we have the case of Shafia girls here in Canada. They've been murdered just because they refused to wear the hijab and being westernized from their Muslim parents. Yes, a famous case back uh, in Kingston in Ottawa, that area, yeah. right? Yes. They were drowned. Yes. So it's not something that we need to just pass by it. We need to stop and raise awareness about the danger of Sharia law. They call it honor killing, but it's application of Sharia law. Therefore, I starting this year, and hopefully we can take it every year, to start to make July 1st International Burn Hijab Day. And I encourage everyone, they can do it on their own. They can just burn a piece of fabric. It doesn't have to be go to any Islamic store to buy it. It's just for symbolical. To stand with these girls who've been murdered because of Sharia law, they refuse it. And many, many cases that happen in majority Muslim countries, many girls, they have their face burned with acid and they have to live with it for the rest of their life. So as a, as a human rights activist, and I always focus as well more into women rights. And that's what make me decide to do that. And uh, we're going to start it this year and we're going to carry it on. So your website again is? Voiceofsandrasolomon.com Dot com. Yeah. Another thing you wanted to make sure that we get into the hour here is a recent Human Rights Commission, Ontario Human Rights Commission case about a landlord. Well, I can't remember the name, but I think his name was Walid, but, uh, but I'm not sure. He, in April 16th, the Human Rights Commission made a decision against the landlord who refused it, who didn't, he didn't take his shoes off when he went into um, uh, a renter's room who was Muslim complained that he disrupted his prayers, he didn't take his shoes off, he disrespected his time schedule and stuff like that. But the main gripe was the fact that he didn't take his shoes off. And I'm really burned about this because if you look back in history, you go way back 800 years almost to this year, 1215 when we had the Magna Carta, uh, 400 years ago when property rights were beginning to be uh, instituted and recognized where people had exclusive use to their property and the long uh, appellant struggle through common law and even civil law where people were finally left a bit of sovereignty for their lives and their property, now we have the Human Rights Commission eroding and undermining that at a absolutely disgraceful speed. And it just burns me up the fact that judges and, and lawyers are not fighting these cases. The Human Rights Commission, though, is not a, a religious institution, and it isn't pushing a religion. It's pushing another evil philosophy. As you know, I'm, or yeah. maybe you don't know, I'm the first person to have ever won a case before a Human Rights Commission on behalf of another landlord who found himself accused of being uh, racially discriminatory against his Asian tenants. And the grounds for discrimination were that he had a majority of Asian tenants in his building, and that was it. Once you had a majority, you were discriminating against them because you were using them in some way, right? And they were all funneled into his building by a lot of social workers who were really after his building. 
And we won't get into the details. It's all on Freedom Party site, including the final argument and how uh, we, we beat uh, the Human Rights Commission at their own game. So Islam, I think, to the Human Rights Commission, I would think, is almost incidental. It's got nothing to do with it because they've got their own agenda. I'd like to mention um, property rights that I mentioned before has been around for centuries. It's a long-established, recognized principle by many courts in, the, in many countries. And to have the Human Rights Commission come along and, as their policy, state that when there's conflicting rights, such as um, the religious rights versus property rights, that they have a policy that they recognize these two principles as equal which I don't think they are, because property rights has been around and is, is much more established than these new behavioral rights that the Human Rights Commission have been trying to establish. Let's face it, there's no real right to freedom of religion. Free, freedom can't be subdivided into the freedom to worship, the freedom to walk, the freedom to talk, the freedom to look, the freedom to hear, the freedom to, to get up in the morning. I mean, you can break down every possible human action and call it a freedom. Exactly. As long as so, it's not, you know, so... What it, yes, you what it is really at. is behavioral control. Yes. That's all it is. I think this particular case in front of the Ontario Human Rights Commission, um, what I first thought of is what kind of a person was this tenant to actually press the issue of a landlord coming into his house with his shoes on to a Human Rights Commission? Somebody well, who knows they can get 12000 bucks you, for nothing? You've got it, Bob. That's exactly the <laughs> kind of person who, who's, who's using it. I don't see anybody. If a landlord came into my home and I asked him to remove his shoes and he didn't, I'd be upset at that landlord. But a person who says, well, I'm a member of a privileged part of society. I'm a Muslim. I can go out to the Human Rights Commission and I can get this guy for a lot of money. That to me is despicable. Not only for that particular person, the tenant, but for uh, Ontario itself and our government who has instituted this Human Rights Commission, which allows that kind of action to be taken on, on behalf of a tenant towards uh, another person. We talk about lawfare. We talk about uh, the United States where everybody gets sued by everybody else just for looking at them wrongly. You know, but here in Ontario, it's getting to be extremely bad as far as allowing certain people, certain groups, based on their religion, their ideology, their color of their skin, to have sway over particular segments of society who don't belong to that group. Wouldn't you think so, Sandra? Well, that's what Muhammad started 1,400 years ago when he said, I will never live in the land of Arab only Muslims, no Jews, no Christian. And he gave all the privilege to Muslims only. And he made the law to accommodate Islamic Sharia law only. That's what started 1400 years ago and it's been carrying on till today. And as I always say to the people, get knowledge about Islam, get knowledge about Sharia law, get knowledge about how you can fight this ideology, fascist ideology that tried to oppose itself into everyone. This man, John Alabi, his name is John Alabi, uh, he's Nigerian, if he would have known uh, what's the Sharia law, talk about the prayers, and when it comes to taking off the shoes and the cleaning part, he would have won this case, and he would have even he would have even taken this Muslim couple to the court, and yet also win it. And I, I, I wish I can 
I'm trying to to find him, to connect him. And that's my message to him or anybody who know him. Please contact me at voiceofsandrasolomon.com to help him in this case. And I'm going to also protest it at the front of the Human Rights Commission against this decision. Nothing in the Quran or in the Hadith, it says about taking off the shoes when the Muslim do the prayer. And there's more detail into it. We can cover it later. Mia, have you any word of my companions? Yes, they escaped with the Sandman. And Gera went after them. Into the desert. I have to get out of here, Mia. Can you help me? There's not much we can do. We're only women. Only? Is that why you wear the masks? To hide yourselves? But it's the law. A law made by men, obviously. Like yourself. Oh, you may find this hard to believe, but I can assure you, I would never impose a law that required you to hide your faces. most heartbreaking to me is I saw a travel brochure from about 1961 from Transworld Airlines and it said visit beautiful Baghdad and it was a paradise and people were driving modern cars and they were jets and everybody was very western it all fell apart why did it fall apart it fell apart because we didn't take it seriously we didn't understand that the 1979 Iranian revolution was a declaration of war against the west if I was president of the United States, I'll tell you what I would say. We understand what you're up to. We know who you are. We take you at your word. If you want to join the community of nations, we'd be happy to trade with you. We trade with a lot of people. But we are going to take you at your word. And we're not going to sit here and continually give you signal after signal after signal after signal for 40 years that we have a death wish and we don't care to defend ourselves. You do this three times and the problem goes away. But no one does it because they don't have the will. They don't have the belief in the civilization. So I can talk to you all day about external threats to the great city, the civilization. I can talk to you about Iran, I can talk to you about Egypt, I can talk about a runaway resurgent Russia, I can talk to you about China getting adventures. We can talk about global warming, we can talk about holes in the ozone layer, plagues of frogs or asteroid impacts, and I don't care about any of these things. These things do not worry me. They're serious threats, they're potent threats, and they need to be taken seriously, but they are not civilization-ending threats. No threats to a civilization from exterior, from beyond the walls of the city, can ever bring down a civilization that's at the height of its powers. It's never happened in history. Civilizations fall from within. This is what scares me today. This is what makes me think about those men in Arlington. The collapse that comes from within. So, Sandra, you're making great pains uh, when we talk to you to um, distinguish between um, a religion which you believe that anybody has the right, as, as, as do everybody around this table, everybody has a right to their own religious beliefs, their faith, and politics, the, uh, the law. During the break, you were talking about the difference between Sunni and Shia and how that's an example of why Islam in general is primarily a uh, political system and not a religious one. Do you want to explain that a little further? Well, it's the conflict that started between Yazid ibn Muawiyah, the caliphate, at the time when uh, the grandson of Muhammad, his name is Hussein, when people wanted him to be the caliphate. And he sent uh, uh, someone to see people in al-Basra, the city in Iraq. 
And they said, okay, they want to get Hussein to be the caliphate, which is the political leader for the Islamic states. So Yazid ibn Muawiyah, he wanted to uh, assassinate him for that uh, approach. So basically, they killed the guy who went uh, before him to approach the people in the Basra. And then by the time Hussein uh, arrived there, people got afraid from the Yazid, the caliphate at that time, uh, the army and the numbers. So they got afraid of being, being persecuted and being killed because they they uh, betrayed the caliphate. They start, you know, the riot against them. So uh, they end up leaving Hussein alone and he got beheaded. They beheaded him and they took his head on the store all the way from Al-Basra to Al-Sham, which is like now, I would say, the area where it's Syria. So from this story, the conflict started, you know, between the Shia and the Sunni, uh, claiming that the caliphate or the wilaya, they call it, the political leading for Muslims should be from the people, from the close family to Muhammad, not from anyone else. So therefore, uh, they start the conflict between Sunni and Shia until today. The Sunni and the Shia, they hate each other. They fight each other. I grew up as a Sunni in Saudi Arabia. And this brings the political conflict between Saudi Arabia of today and Iran. So, and what's going on of today, uh, political changes in the region, it has something to do with what happened hundreds of years ago between... <laughs> you know, you so it's, it's endless, it's continuing. You know, we grow up in a way... I was Sunni, they told me like Shiat are infidels, so they should be killed. If you ask a Sunni Muslim, is the Shia Muslim, they're going to say no. If you ask a Shia Muslim, is the Sunni Muslim or Muslim, they're going to be like no. So basically both both each other considered each other not Muslim and they should be killed. You know, and they consider themselves the true Muslims. Exactly, they consider themselves the true Muslims. It's been mentioned to us before, I think it was Christopher Monkton, I'm not sure, but um, he... Well, somebody suggested that the real problem with Islam is that, unlike Catholicism, it does not have a leader. Yeah. It's a free-for-all of trying to interpret texts which are 1,400 years old. And that free-for-all is allowing for the conflicts to, to fester and continue for centuries, while uh, in Catholicism, of course, you have a central figure who is an authority on interpreting the Bible. And, um, well, as I understand, it wasn't it Constantine who had to clean up all the fighting amongst the Christians? <laughs> and, and then finally at the Council of Nicaea, they declared Christ was going to be the Savior, that There's God Trinity, was the one, yeah. one God, and two people objected. They had their heads cut off, and then everybody consented to that, and that became the, 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 Roman, the Holy Roman that's Empire. That's the problem right? with Islam is that it didn't, well, one of the problems with Islam is that it didn't have a Council of Nicaea. What it had was political, tribal infighting from the get-go. Yes. Uh, well, yes and no as well, because uh, at the end of the day, that we have uh, imams, uh, they call them, uh, or even the top scholars of Islam, they call them mufti. The mufti, he is the the head of, of the, uh, like he's the scholar, he give fatwas, they go by fatwas. And they, they study all the Islamic texts, they memorize the Quran from cover to cover, and they study all the commentary. They call them tafsir, the explanations and all that. So we have many Muslims, they depend on the muftis 
or in the fatwa what the imam says but the 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 main issues with that is one book the quran has a lot of commentary books so and each and every commentary books contradict with the other commentary books and most of the most of the time at the end of the uh, discussion they would say only allah knows like at the end of the day there is no final answer there is no final decision and each and every commentary they don't go along with another's again because of the same problem that i've been always focused on it is muhammad even if you don't want to study quran study muhammad it's all back to muhammad once we know what muhammad said in makkah and medina we know that we know the solution we know that uh, the, they have two quran it's not one quran we need to distinguish between the makkian stage and the medina stage once we got that right once we fully understand it we have only not the religion part not the peaceful part we're not even going to bother with it i don't bother with it my main concern is the medina's verses or the medina quran which are the later verses in the quran is the later verses is the later message is the final it's the end of it and it's abrogated the one before so each and everything that's been said before it's gone it's erased but it's not erased from the book itself it should be erased also from people's minds and hearts to know that this not this is not islam the true islam it's when you do jihad when you do the conquest when you do the opening and take over lands and and slave people and uh, take uh, women sex slave and take the spoils at the end of the day again i will repeat it over and over islam do not believe in borders there's no borders in islam what happened before since the time of the the first caliphate abu bakr al siddiq till today the muslim they don't think countries or borders they think caliphates they want to bring back the caliphate they believe the earth belong to allah the religion belong to allah all the earth all the people should and must submit to islam either they like it or not it has nothing to do with the us uh, really believing or not believing if we don't want to submit we have two option either be the jizya or be killed that's it and what's going on now the reviving of the caliphate that's what isis are trying to do with all these so called terrorists which is the true muslims they believe if they bring back the caliphate that's the only way to be able to fully the the full destruction of israel and uh, to take over the west and expand to the whole earth we have a, a dilemma here between allowing for the free speech of people who would want to bring back uh, such a, a wahhabist view of islam and taking those people and saying that these people are inciting people to riot and to kill you yourself have made a little video saying that these three imams in canada have been calling for the execution of apostates like yourself and yet nothing is done with these people do we allow them to say that on the pulpit because they have freedom of speech or do we arrest them for trying to incite criminal activity 
that's that's a hate uh, pre, uh, speech and uh, not only them uh, there's many imams in Canada we got Ekna Canada uh, the mufti of Canada when I say mufti that's it he is the scholar of the scholars he knows everything uh, Dr. Iqbal Al-Nadvi uh, openly saying that Quran says it's okay to beat the wife and many other things in their website Ekna Canada uh, it says uh, uh, infidel should be invited to Islam if not jihad should be implemented and these are three imams Ahmed Abdul Qadir Qandil Shahrayar Al-Sheikh and Saeed Rajah all of them uh, openly stated that anyone who leave Islam should be executed and if one of the Muslims in the mosque hearing this message and listening to Sandra Solomon, who's openly criticizing Islam and criticizing Muhammad and, and making so-called, I be, I'm, I'm doing a mischief now in the land. I'm, call, I'm causing a mischief, which is fitna in, in Islam. Anyone, any, anywhere, anytime, they can just murder me and cause harm as well, like, or also murder my, my child. Like I'm putting my life and my child's life at the front line to, to protect Canada from these barbaric savage seventh uh, century ideology and yet many people still in this snoozing mood you know ab- about it and we need to encourage m- many people not to be afraid and because islam based on fear to control people by fear and enslave them uh, mentally if they're not it's either regardless if either you speak or don't speak you're going to be persecuted you're going to be killed or persecuted not just because you speak against Islam, even if you do want to submit to Islam, the persecution will come regardless. I want to mention, too, the fact that uh, what really gets me is the, is the Human Rights Code has actually, in Canada, silenced those who want to speak up. Um, there are people who do want to speak up, but they speak in behind the coffee counters, behind the offices, in washrooms, but they don't come out and speak the truth openly. Mm-hmm. Everywhere, everywhere they go. And they don't stand up in the open like you, Sandra. And they, they're afraid because of the Human Rights Code has killed their initiative. I realize that this is not protocol, sir, but uh, I would like to extend my personal welcome to the city. Your Majesty, may I present Lieutenant Colombo of the Los Angeles Police Department. Lieutenant, this is His Majesty King Ahmad Kamal of Swari. How nice to meet you, Lieutenant, and very gracious of you to come. Uh, Well, actually, sir, I'm on duty. Are you in charge of security arrangements, Lieutenant? Uh, I know I'm something of a bother. (laughs) Oh, no, you're no bother at all, sir. I don't get to meet too many kings in my job. (laughs) Actually, sir, I'm with homicide. Homicide? That is exciting. The real thing, not what uh, we see on your American TV shows, huh? (laughs) This murder of Yosef Alafa, Lieutenant, was very tragic. I knew the man very well. Sir, in that regard, I realize you're a very busy man. Excellency, the ministers are awaiting your presence in the reception room. If I may be of service to the lieutenant? Ah, yes, of course. Lieutenant, please call on me if I may be of any service to you. Oh, thank you very much. He will wait in the sitting room, Lieutenant. A thousand pardons, Your Majesty, but the man is a simple man, the Lieutenant, and he's not used to our ways. Yeah, but I like him, Hassan. 
You say our ways, but you mean your ways. The ways of your father and his father before him. There is a place for tradition, Hassan, but we must learn to live in this world as neighbors. We cannot be blind to the changes happening all around us. I understand, Your Majesty. You beat me. That's it. I got beat, plain and simple. True. I know you did it, but... Well, you can't win them all, sir. You're very gracious, Lieutenant. Thank you. But let's face it, you never did have much of a case. No, mostly it was circumstantial, I agree. I got the feeling that you wouldn't be so expansive, you wouldn't be so quick to admit all this if you didn't have diplomatic immunity. Perhaps so, Lieutenant, but the fact is I do have diplomatic immunity. Quite so, Hassan Salah. Yes, Hassan. You saw the aircraft depart, huh? But it departed without me at the suggestion of my friend, Lieutenant Colombo. A helicopter brought me back here ahead of you. By tomorrow, Salah, you will be in Suwari and subject to Suwarian justice. You wanted to arrest me earlier, Lieutenant. I hereby renounce my diplomatic immunity. I submit to your arrest. Well, I would like to, but... Uh, it's like you said to the fellow from the State Department, sir, this is an international thing. I don't want to make waves. Maybe justice would be better served back in Suwari. Thank you very much, sir. Nice meeting you. Likewise, Lieutenant. This is not justice. This is barbarism. Lieutenant! I beg you. The trouble, sir, is that you're right that it's all the evidence is circumstantial. It's just bits and pieces. I don't think any of it is going to stand up in court. A confession. If I signed a confession. Well, I'm not sure. Your Majesty? I shall abide by your decision, Lieutenant. Well, in that case, just signed by the Red Xer. Three copies, if you don't mind. You want to read it? I'm sure I know what it says, Lieutenant. I am your prisoner. Officer. Hassan, a word of warning. Should you decide to repudiate your confession, we shall be waiting to welcome you home. You're listening to Just Right Broadcasting around the world and online. And thank you to all our financial supporters who've made it possible for us to continue on our journey in the right direction and to share our programming with the world. Visit www.justrightmedia.org to offer your financial support. And while you're there, sample some of our timeless past broadcasts, all archived for your listening enjoyment. We're in studio with Sandra Solomon and Ted Harrelson, both activists in Canada, speaking out currently against um, the Islamization of Canada and the West. Sandra, you were talking to me earlier about the hypocrisy you see in uh, Muslim countries. You grew up, of course, in Saudi Arabia, mostly. 
and you were saying what goes on behind closed doors versus the public perception. Yes, uh, this is uh, so true because that's one of the things that makes me really, um, I don't want to live Islamic way or live in Islamic values. And to me, it was all hypocrisy, two faces uh, in front of people, something and behind the door, something else. There's lots of activities that goes behind the door. Like a, um, I would say like many girls, they would be wearing the hijab, claiming that they are like, you know, nice and, and holy and, and all that stuff. But yet behind the doors, they will go and have sex with like different guys and and they will drink and they will do drugs and, and all that stuff, you know. And the cheating is as well, like, you know, if, if husbands and wives and they all cheat on each other. And I'm not saying all of them, but majority, there is a big percentage of, of these, I would say, called moral things that uh, supposedly they, they say to the world, oh, we are uh, Muslims, we don't do that, we don't drink, we don't do this. At one time, uh, we used to live in Al-Khubar city. It's very close, like a driving to Al-Bahrain or very close to United Emirates, which is in Dubai, it's open, the alcohol, and they go drink and whatever, and parties. But then when they come back to Saudi Arabia, it's totally a different story. So that's one of the... The hypocrisy, I couldn't uh, stand it. If you want to claim that you are holy and clean and you're not doing anything that I would say sinful, you don't have to hide it. Just do it openly. Like no one should be harming you anyway, regardless. Then. That makes me think of the kind of psychology of the people um, who are, you know, being hypocritical. Behind closed doors, they realize that life is different from the way that life is supposed to be according to the the mufti yeah. or the king and that kind of a conflict in the mind of a person especially a young person you see it in um, in, in north american society when you have very devout christian families say one thing and do another behind closed doors and it, it it turns children sometimes into murderers it turns them into very hateful people when they uh, have this conflict between what they know to be reality and the teachings of their parents and priests and, 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 and mufti and, and, and imams. So I, I, I can see that there's no wonder that the, the Arab Middle East especially is in such a turmoil with this um, philosophy and ideology being imposed on people who apparently know better when the doors are closed. Exactly. And it, to me, it was like uh, contradicting two lifestyle uh, at once. I, I personally, I cannot do that. I can't. It's either it's either if I'm something I can tell every the whole world like who I am and they can know uh, exactly, you know, nothing to be hide, nothing to be uh, whatever you're um, sexual oriented, uh, wherever you're preference if you're drinking alcohol you just drink alcohol if you're eating uh, pork eat it if you do whatever like do I, I believe in a freedom as long as you're not opposing it into nobody and forcing it into nobody that's bottom line what bugs me the most when they keep saying Islam religion of peace but every time even especially Jum'ah Friday prayer that they want to bring to schools which they already did anyway uh, the khutbah it's all about cursing the infidels 
Oh Allah, de, kill them one by one. Oh Allah, slay them by one one. Oh Allah, uh, de, uh, purify the Aqsa Mosque from the filthy Jews. Oh Allah, uh, give us victory over the disbelievers. That's I I heard well, it many, all, many, from Saudi Arabia, even here in Canada. Many imams they repeating terrorists themselves who have been interviewed and and you know cross examined in, in jails and stuff have said, listen, you know that's our tactic, right? It worked. The concepts to me, it was between dying for Allah and living for God. It's the whole different direction. Well, you know, they were You're, saying that you know, the, yeah, it is peace of of Islam, but it's peace under the gun, right? Yes, and yes. and they openly say that. Yes, yes, that's exactly what they, uh, you know, try to brainwash us. That's why I encourage parents to please keep your eyes open for your kids, you especially a, the teenage. You have a really big enemy that's not Islamist and it's not the parents. I think our biggest enemy here is our own government. Yeah. And if anyone needs to be convinced of anything, it's our politicians. This goes beyond Islam. You, you can talk about the, the, the yeah. freedom of speech with the whole gender issue with Jordan Peterson and all that. And you, and you see the kind of people who are on the panels and how they think. And they all think the same. They don't see anything wrong with a lot of this. The issue is really politics, and it's not religion as such. And I see the Canadian government viewing this as a political move and human rights commissions and all that. This is part of their ideology, and Islam fits in with it. So shouldn't we be aiming our guns at them because they're supposed to be our defense between us and any foreign invaders of any type? Yes, at a certain point, I agree with you. Uh, we mm -hmm. have to fight Islam politically because at the end, as I said, Islam, it's all about political power. Absolutely. It's two direction, politically at the political level and at the social level, which is what we're doing now and what I'm doing in my rallies and my protesting. And politically, once we have a leaders, uh, we need to hold the government accountable of what they're doing and what they're causing harm to this country, uh, bringing all these massive number of immigrations, which is, I call them invaders. You know, this is invasion. That's not immigration. For example, motion well, M103. I, I want to and, use one that you gave us last time. Yeah. You talked about the Peel Board of Education and how they're bringing in Islamist teachings and bringing the books into the class. And yet at the same time, the same government is telling us we don't want to have radicalization of our children. Do you not see a huge conflict between those two things? Yes, big yeah. time. We have a, a so imam. So who's holding the government accountable to their hypocrisy? When the point, the government start to fear people, like when majority of Canadians really physically rising up and really knowing uh, the danger and taking actions, see what's going on, keep your eyes open. Well, I want to ask Sandra about the marrying or the being in bed of the left in Canada and Islamist supremacists like a, a Linda Sarsour, who's out there wearing a scarf on her head, saying that she's progressive, promoting Sharia, but saying she's progressive. And all of the left, the feminists, and the, the lefties, and the snowflakes, and the progressives gather around her, wearing hijabs uh, uh, decorated with the American flag, and thinking that's cool. Can you, I know, I have my own theory on why the left and Sharia lovers, Islamic supremacists, are in bed together. But I'd like to hear your take on it. Well, first of the ignorance and uh, the naive, and also we have the global globalist agenda that's, that's been going on as well. Globalism, yes. Yeah, globalism. 
So that's very much like the caliphate, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yes, uh, the, the, they can go along yes. together. When Muhammad wanted to start his state, he went to the thugs and the bandits and the people who has who immoral and they don't care and they just want their own power and they want to slave people. So same thing. And sometimes I say, what's the difference between Trudeau and Muhammad? Nothing. To me, nothing. No different. Because it's a uh, dictatorship and uh, to silent and communism as well. So what's going on with uh, Linda Sarsour and, and uh, all these people around her? They fall also into the trap of a victim card that the Muslims, they know how to play it very smart, very well. They know how to play taqiyya, deceiving, the lying. Uh, like it's halal, it's permissible in Islam to lie, to deceive the infidels until you got what you want. And uh, as well, uh, it fits into their agenda uh, also against the majority of them anti-Semites, anti-God, anti-Christians, anti-whatever. So of course it will fit together. And they want to, you know, open the door for the under the so-called multiculturalism, which is it's going to kill the home culture. So for now, I've been in Canada for numbers of years. So what's the Canadian culture? Well, Justin Trudeau has said that yeah. Canada has no culture. Exactly. Imagine that, the leader of our yes. country yes. saying that we have no culture. Yes. He should resign just based on that one statement alone. Right. Be kicked now, out of office. Trudeau got to go. That's one of the things I've been uh, saying it over and over in my rallies and my protests. Trudeau got to go. And I'm warning every Canadian, if Trudeau got reelected again, Canada will be Islamic State 100%, I'm sure about it. And we're all going to be quelled. That's what they use in the motion M103. Maybe Ted can speak more about it later. I just wanted to reflect on what you just said. It's really amazing how Ayn Rand is right in her books where she stated that when government becomes a dictatorship yeah. run by thugs, that they need altruism as an excuse, as a cover for what they're doing. Because if they were just outright thugs, I mean, nobody would, they'd be exposed. Okay. But they need some kind of semblance of a moral justification, and that's altruism. The people they're trying to um, sacrifice for are Muslims who they see yes. as being victims. Yes. They, yep. These are refugees. Yes. You know, they're war-torn. We must help them. Yes. We will accommodate. We will suppress our culture for the sake of their well-being. And in, and in doing so, of course, we're all dead. I'm sure we can't be accused of wasting lots of government money on this trip. Absolutely, Minister. And we are taking the smallest possible delegation. Absolutely. Paired to the bone. What are you doing here? It's purely my sense of duty-free. Duty-free? <laughs> uh, duty-free from any personal considerations. Perhaps you care to approve this, Minister. What is it? It's the final communique. The final communique? You can't write the communique before you've had the meeting. On the contrary, Minister, you can't write the communique after you've had the meeting. Now, we had to get agreement from half a dozen other departments, from the EEC, from Washington, from the Qumrani Embassy. You can't do all that in a few hours in the middle of the desert. But this may bear no relation to what we actually say. Well, no communique ever bears any relation to what you actually say. Then why have one? Well, it's a sort of exit visa, gets you past the press corps. <laughs> the journalists needed to justify their huge expenses for a futile non-event. Non-event? That would, of course, a brilliant triumph for you, Minister. Which is why it's a futile non-event for the press. <laughs> well, what they'd really like is for me to get drunk at the reception or something. Yes. Not much hope of that. Qumran is dry. Yeah. Well, of course, it is in the middle of the desert. 
Islamic law. Alas, yes. Hmm. We shan't be able to get a drink at the British Embassy, shall we? Well, at the Embassy, yes, but the reception and the dinner at the Palace. Five hours of orange juice. <laughs> Five hours? Without a single drinky? Uh, Why did you let me come on this trip, Humphrey? Okay. What are we going to do? Hip flasks? No, no, much too risky. <laughs> we have to grin and bear it. Oh, your boy Trump did it again. But I want to focus here on his most recent faux pas, where he said we need to ban all Muslims from returning to America. Pretty rational, pretty brash, pretty crass. That's what we need in this day and age. We're at war, okay? I know this is a facile analogy, but it's 1943, and Germans are traveling back and forth. They're coming here and talking about Nazi law. That's what Sharia law is when you're at war with a group who tends to be pretty darn Muslim. I know we're told they're just extremists, but the line between modern and extreme seems pretty shady to me. Look, here's a fun game. Take any person radicalized in the West, which, by the way, is pretty much all our attacks. All our attacks are guys who grew up normal, playing soccer, liking the Dukes of Hazard and Star Wars, and having cool posters on their wall. They all were radicalized here, and the vast majority of, the majority of them traveled abroad, trained, learned how to kill us, and then were welcomed back with open arms. Look at the Sarnev brothers. They grew up normal. They were little kids like you and me, little cool North American kids. They kept going back and forth to Dagestan, Dagestan, a largely Muslim community in Russia. In Canada, we had Corporal Nathan Cirillo. He was assassinated by Michael Zihaf Bibo, who spent a ton of time in Libya. Are you seeing a pattern here yet? Look, guys, this isn't a perfect solution. It's not going to fix the problem. There's a million holes in it. That's why it's unreasonable. For example, many don't have to travel to Pakistan or Syria or, or Libya to get brainwashed into being a jihadist. Many of them do it here. When we lost Patrice, Officer Patrice Vincent in uh, Quebec, Martin Couteau-Rouleau was radicalized at home on his computer. He was obviously a mentally deranged guy whose business was failing, and he got jihadified just sitting in front of his computer. So we're not saying this is going to wipe out Islam. I mean, sorry, wipe out radical Islam. Careful, whoa, don't want to hurt any feelings. But what this will do is start progress towards defeating these extremists. We are such ethnomasochists. We're so ashamed of ourselves that we prefer being shot and killed to hurting anyone's feelings. Well, I want to start hurting someone's feelings, okay? This is not a be-all, end-all, fix-all solution, but it's a start. Can we at least start? In a past episode of Just Right, we mentioned uh, or addressed the age-old question of, but it's not all Muslims who are terrorists. And so we looked at a, um, a survey, a, a Pew Research survey, which asked Muslims all over the world their beliefs about homosexuality, about killing innocent children, strapping bombs to them, suicide vests, lying to promote um, Islam, all of those questions that are very politically incorrect. And what was revealed that it's not simply one in a thousand Muslims who uh, would dance on the roofs during the 9-11 attacks in New York. It's not one in a hundred. It turns out to be maybe one in five Fully 19% of Muslims in America 
um, agree with the imposition of Sharia law in that country. This is huge. This is a, a very large chunk. Now, of course, Donald Trump referred to that same study when he was yes, running for president. He, yes, he did, and, and, and kudos uh, to him for doing it. But my point to um, Sandra Solomon here is Canada's open immigration policy under Justin Trudeau and the left, how do you see that going for our country? What should it, be our policy on immigration from primarily Muslim countries? See, I personally am not against immigrant. I'm an immigrant myself. And there's people really in need, especially the one who is escaping Sharia law, and especially also the Christians. Like yourself who escaped yes, it. Yes, and the Christians who are escaping persecution in the majority Muslim countries, and the Yazidis as well, and what's going on to them. M- many others as well. So the Kurds. It's the Kurds. It's not about the immigrations themselves. It's about being vetted. Vetted refugees. Yes. That's the word. It's to be a security check very well. It has to be very, very and into like done in a very high level, like number one. And number two, we're not in rush to bring all these massive number here in Canada. You can help them where they are. You can build a refugee camp to, to them, whatever at the border of Jordan, Turkey, Lebanon, you have so many countries. There's a million tents sitting in Mecca that are sitting empty. Exactly. And we got 52 Muslim countries. None of them took the immigrants. None of them took the refugees. Okay? That's very important point that many people need to know. And again, if this is a planted, this is, it's not something just happened, just the conflict between the Muslims themselves, like who's persecuting the Muslim in Syria? The Muslims, they're killing each other, the Sunni and the Shia, and Iran and uh, the Saudis. They're fighting, they created this, you know, they create the ground, they create the ground for the war, and we got these true Muslim, like uh, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, claiming that he is the caliphate, ISIS, and they start to establish the Islamic State. This is not just a coincidence, this is the real Again, as I always say, go back 1400 years ago. There is something called, uh, uh, you know, Muhammad and his prophecy. And I call it the self-fulfillment prophecy. Self-fulfillment prophecy. Just to prove that Muhammad, he was a prophet. Because he prophesied supposedly. He said, end of the time. You know, they are waiting for end of the time to come. Uh, he said that when it, regarding to the Jews, he said end of the time will never come until the Muslim kill the Jews, until the rock will cry out, there is a Jewish behind me, come kill him. That's Muhammad. And I encourage everyone to study three battles, the battle of Dabiq, the battle of Al-Mahdi, and the battle of Al-Dajjal. If the people got to study these three kind of battles, supposedly this is a prophecy of Muhammad, they will know that the war in Syria is just beginning. This is just a beginning. It wars to come. And this is endless. It will never finish. The number of the so-called refugee, it will never finish. Not just from Syria, from Iraq, from any other, whatever the well, region. it's a tactic, isn't it? is it not? It is. Supposedly they are fulfilling the prophecy of mm-hmm. Muhammad when he said the end of the time will never come until a group of my ummah, they call themselves ummah, 
And the majority Muslims, they consider themselves, they are the best ummah, they are the supremacists. They are the best of nations. I see no difference in this kind of supremacy. Yeah. And that that the left decries every day about racial supremacy, the white supremacists, the Nazis. I see this as exactly the same. There is no difference. No difference. They claim that the white supremacists or whatever, but they are the supremacists. Islam promotes supremacism. Uh, in Arabic and in, in the Quran, Islam like it be, it's supreme and nothing will be supreme above Islam. Islam it's above, it's supreme and is the higher authority of the lands of the people because it came from God. It's not from man-made law. So my question to every Canadian, it's make up your mind which one you want. Do you want Canadian law or do you want Sharia law? Under Canadian law, man should have one wife. In Sharia law, man can have four wives. And he can marry also underage girls. Uh, even before they got their period. I would talk about like age of seven or eight. Well, as, no, as Muhammad did with as Aisha. As Muhammad yes. did with Aisha when he consummated the marriage at nine years old. But between six and nine, he was doing thawing with her. So... Make up your mind, Canadians. Do you want Sharia law or you want your secular freedom of speech, Canadian law, that forefathers fought for, that the soldiers who died, you know, to protect this country from this this harm. And now we have this government betrayed us and through the opening the doors and the borders are open as well. Uh, uh, many people are crossing the borders. We don't know who they are. I want to ask these lefties and these liberals, would you open the house? Would you open your door, your home door to anybody walking in the street and tell them, oh, you're more than welcome. Come live with me and do as you please. I don't think so. It's the same concept. I'm not going to stay silent on the Canadian door. Our mind. I, I was going to ask you about your feelings on the whole concept of sanctuary cities. It's a direction from the city councils to... Um, social services not to ask any questions about whether or not you're a um, illegal immigrant. You know, they give sanctuary to illegal immigrants. What's your idea of that? I think I know. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. Like all these, uh, oh, whatever decision that they do, it's all to fit their agenda. At the end of the day, it's all about Islamization. It's all about... So then you're saying that the Canadian government itself has an agenda of Islamization. Of course, the whole Islamophobia motion, it's it's, uh, created by the Muslim Brotherhood. The Muslim Brotherhood, it's already been recognized in Egypt, in Emirates, uh, in many uh, Muslim countries as a terrorist organization. And now we have people who's associated with the Muslim Brotherhood planted in our government bringing all these motions and decisions and trying to change the voting and now they're giving the refugee the right to vote. They just want numbers. And the only way to defeat this and the only way to protect Canada, to overcome them with the numbers of people, we need a movement. We need Canadians who's ready. Like that's what I'm trying to build in people's heart. Patriotism. We're not against people. I'm not against Muslims as people. Nobody no. here is. I'm not. I'm against actually, an ideology. Exactly, and I'm openly. So, so do, do you see? Do you see any success in that regard? Do you see Canadians yes. coming? Well, that's a good sign. Yes. 
Uh, yes. we've, we've only got a couple minutes, if, if that. I just wondered, what's your thoughts of just generally Donald Trump and his approach to the world? Do you think he's going to have an impact? Yes. Some success? You yes, do. yes. I do trust uh, Trump for whatever he's doing. Even if he leaned it a little bit with, with Saudi Arabia, it's all a tactic because of Iran. They are trying to build uh, the Shia crescent, and uh, now they're being stopped by the Kurdish and the Kurdistan. Because it's all political, and I'm sure 100% Trump, he's doing good things politically, at the, at the political level. Even if it's looked like or it seems like that he leaned it a little bit with the Saudi. By calling Islam by, great. By calling it <laughs> <laughs> mm. great when it's gone. <laughs> Not great when it's existed. It will be great when I see Islam gone. He knows the danger. Trust me, Trump, he knows the danger. It's political thing. You know, we, we cannot just go there and tell them, yo, you're no, prophet, uh, psychopath claiming that he yeah. flew in a donkey. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> well, I guess going back like, domestically, <laughs> just for a few seconds on, on the uh, Muslim Brotherhood you mentioned, yeah. I do believe they're in the criminal code. Mm-hmm. So, I, I, don't, I, I don't know why the police aren't investigating the politicians too. They should, by all conscience, they should do it. Well, we've seen that problem throughout. Uh, In the UK with Tommy Robinson and the police, Mm -hmm. in Caledonia with the police, police turning a blind eye. I I suspect, Sandra, that they're treating you with kid gloves because you're a, a minority. Yes. You've um, got the olive skin. You're ex-Muslim. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I don't know. I'm joking. Now, if Bob and I went out there, two uh, whiteies went out there yes. screaming against Islam yes. the way you actually Thank physically God. did. I'm not a white. I'm not. <laughs> I think they'd lock us up. Yeah. Yes. Well, lucky you're not burdened with our, <laughs> our heritage. I'm here for Canada, and I encourage everyone to break through the fear, to break through the so-called political correctness, and to hold the government accountable for their action. Ikra Khalid, the Muslim Pakistani liberal MB who brought this motion, same country that were the blasphemers. This is something called blasphemy law. It's part of Sharia law. So motion M103, it is Islamic blasphemy law. And it's not just the motion M103. It's about the whole idea of to put them in a jail, in mind jail. It's not about being in a behind bars. You can be jailed even if you're like still like What's the fear? It's the fear of breaking a law. Exactly. So we should not be afraid. So far, whatever we're saying, whatever we're doing, it's for Canada, not against Canada. It's for the Canadian law, the secular, democratic Canadian law, one law for everyone, include the Muslims. We don't want a fringe law that came from the 7th century to take over, to switch or to change our uh, constitution and freedom of right and uh, right and speech. Excellent. Agreed. Canadians stand up. Excellent. Well, Sandra and Ted, thank you again. Yep. And you. to our listeners, join us again next week when we'll continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. That's right. <laughs> Fade into color, color into black and white. Enough is enough. So I'm afraid if this journalist asks me straight questions on either of these subjects, I shall have to give her straight answers. The moral dimension. Yes, Minister, I agree with you. I see now that there is a moral dimension to everything. Will you tell the press about the communications room or shall I? (laughs) 
the scotch in Clumrah. <laughs> this is completely different. It's not the same thing at all. Why? Drinking, it's not corruption. No, it's just deceit, that's all. <laughs> we have deceived the Qumranis. I'm racked with guilt. <laughs> Tormented by the knowledge that we have violated their solemn and sacred Islamic law in their own country. Sooner or later, we'll have to own up and admit that it was all your idea. It was. It was. <laughs> was it? Is it 50 lashes or 100? 